Good morning, Mercy House. Um, my name's Caitlin, and I will be reading the scripture for us this morning. So if you want to get your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 16. The verses are 16 through 24. A little while ago, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we praise you this morning for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you that your love um, is stronger than any evil and sin in the world, that your love brings healing, that your love brings joy, that your love brings peace, it brings hope, it brings resurrection, it brings new life. God, and we praise you for that power that is in your name. We praise you that, yeah, you have saved us, that you saw us in the muck and mire of our sins and our wretchedness, and you chose us. You chose to love us. You chose us to to wash us clean, to call us your own, and we praise you for that this morning, Father. We thank you that nothing can take that inheritance from us, that we are solid and secure and steadfast in who you have called us to be, which is your children. And God, we just praise you for that this morning. And God, we confess that sometimes we seek other things besides your love, and we are sorry for the times that we have gone astray, for the times that we have chased after comfort, and the easy way, and luxuries, and romance, and all the things, Lord. And we are sorry that we forget that you are our portion, and that you are what is good for us. And God, I thank you that you are faithful, that even when we turn away, that you continue to love us and to hold us close. I pray this morning that you'd be turning our hearts back to you. In whatever ways we've sought other things above you this week, God, that we would be turning ourselves to you and that we would just remind ourselves to stand firm in your truth and your calling and your goodness and the hope that we have in you. 
And God, I pray for Garrett as he preaches the word. I pray that you would just be with him. Your spirit would be upon him, God, that you would just, yeah, help him to speak the scripture and know that it is, uh, yeah, your word is life-changing, God. And I pray that it would just breathe new life into each of us this morning. And um, yeah, just thank you. Pray that all the things going on in our lives, the hardships, the trials, and the joys, God, that we would bring them all before you, that we would lay it at your feet, knowing that you are a father who loves his children and who lays down his life for his children. And yeah, just praise you for that, Lord, and pray that you would be with Mercy House, that you would be helping us to, to just, in your love, to be a light to the world around us, Lord, and just to bring your hope and peace and joy wherever we go. Yeah, we just, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Mercy House. Uh, my name is Garrett Postuma, and I'm one of the elders at Mercy House. Uh, some quick background for those who might not know me. Uh, I am married to my lovely wife, Michelle, and we live in South Hadley with our three kids, Eliana, Levi, and Isla. Uh, I'd like to welcome you all to our Family Worship Sunday for August. Every third Sunday of the month is a Family Worship Sunday where we have the grade school children in the service with us. Um, before we go any further, I'd just like to take a moment uh, to pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time uh, to come together as your body to worship you, God, uh, to learn more about you, Holy Spirit, I would pray that you would be working in the hearts and minds of everyone here, especially our children, uh, to receive your word and what you would have each of us learn. I would pray that you would use me today, God, that this time would be an act of worship to you. I would pray that if anything I prepared is not from you, that I would skip over it and that I would be open to the Holy Spirit should I be prompted to add something this morning. Uh, we love you, God, and we commit this time to you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. All right, so if you are uh, joining us for the first time today, uh, this summer we've been moving through the Upper Room Discourse in the Gospel of John. And for the grade school kids in the room today, a discourse is uh, it's like a conversation between a bunch of people. Um, these are some of Jesus' last moments with the, his disciples before he's betrayed. And this discourse is Jesus telling them some really important information. Uh, this takes place during the Passover meal, which holds a lot of significance because this is when the Jews remember the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, which caused the angel of death to literally pass over the land of the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt, while the firstborn sons of the Egyptians were slain. Previously in this discourse, we have heard how we are called to trust Jesus and to obey him, to love one another the way that Jesus loves us, that God first chose us, that the world is not just going to be against us, rather that the world actually hates us and hates Jesus, but that in spite of all this, everything is going to be okay. Uh, which leads us to today's passage, verses 16 through 24. And uh, even though we just read it, we're gonna, I'm going to read it again for us all. It states that, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? 
we do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so they said to them, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will see that your joy may be full. Now, when Jesus was talking to his disciples during the upper room discourse, everything happened over the course of one meal. However, this summer, we've been moving through this discourse one week at a time. So what we're hearing today, I kind of consider as part two to Corey's sermon uh, from last week, where he was explaining how uh, Jesus tells the disciples that the world is going to be against us, against Christians, against the disciples, against his followers, even to the point of trying to take their lives. And yet, that in spite of all this, everything is going to be okay. And that's because of the eternal life we can have through Jesus. Uh, now, it is a family worship Sunday, so at this time I'd like to invite the grade school kids who would normally uh, be in kids' church to come down to the front so we can have a little teaching time with them. If there are any kids around, I don't see many. <laughs> Let's see what we get. You can come up. Well, good morning, guys. You guys can sit down if you want to. That's fine. Well, thank you all for coming up front today. I've got a question for all of you guys this morning. Oh, hey, Emmy. When you guys pray, either by yourselves or with your parents, what can you guys ask God for? Good night's sleep. A good night's sleep. That's a great thing to ask for. Good dreams. I, I like that. Can ask for a nice day. Anything else, guys? So I think what you guys are getting at by all these different things, good sleep, good dreams, good days, is that we can ask God for anything. In fact, the Bible in 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us that anytime we are anxious, we can tell God about it because he cares for us, like when we pray for good dreams or a good night's rest. In our scripture reading today, the Bible tells us that if we ask for things in prayer, we'll receive them so that our joy can be full. God wants us to pray to him and to ask him for things. I have another question for you guys this morning. What a... Uh, how do you guys answer your prayers? Or not answer, excuse me. How do you guys end your prayers? When it's time to end prayer time, how do you do it? Yeah? Forget. You forget. That's okay. We say amen. We say amen. What, Parker, what do you say? You say amen too? Is there anyone's name who we pray in? God. When you, before you say amen, what do you guys usually say? 
You don't know. <laughs> That's okay. It's tough being asked questions up front. So usually, when we end our prayers in our house, we usually end them by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. And the reason we do that is because our scripture verse tells us today that we should pray to God and pray in Jesus' name. And the reason for this is so that when God answers prayers, it makes both God and us happy. Our Bible verse today says that our joy may be full when our prayers are answered, which means that we're happy when God answers our prayers. Do any of you guys have examples of answered prayers, things you prayed for and God answered the prayer? Did you have a good night's rest after praying for a good night's rest? Yeah? Did you have some good dreams after praying for good dreams? Sometimes. How did it feel when you had a good night's rest after praying for a good night's rest? It felt good? Yeah. So before Michelle and I had any kids who are unfortunately not here today, um, we prayed to God that we might have some kids one day. And God answered our prayer, and we were so happy when first Eliana was born, and then Levi was born, and then Isla was born. It gave us a lot of joy. All right, kids. What I'm hoping you guys are hearing today and learning is that we can ask God for anything. That God wants you to pray to him. You can ask him for things, and God wants to answer our prayers. And then I also want you guys to think about why, the why we ask for things, and to think about if Jesus wants us to ask for these things as well. But I'm going to talk to the adults more about that, and you guys can listen in too. But thank you all for coming up today. I appreciate you guys coming up and listening. You guys are all great listeners. You guys can go back to your seats now. As a group, we're going to come back to the concept of prayer in a little bit, but I want us to spend some time with the rest of the passage first. Jumping back in at the top, in verses 16 through 19, uh, Jesus is talking about how he's going to be gone for a little bit and come back in a little while. Uh, He says, and I quote again, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? So in this passage, uh, Jesus is continuing where we left off as a church last week uh, with Corey. Uh, Corey left us with Jesus saying that despite the world being against his followers, everything would be all right, including even if the world manages to take our lives. Jesus now continues the discourse, the conversation, if you will, and foreshadows his death and resurrection. And we see this in the verses I just read, 16 and 17. Uh, The little while, and you will see me no longer, that's a reference to Jesus' death on the cross, followed by his resurrection and his appearance to the disciples. 
Now, some have argued uh, that these verses are actually referring to the second coming of Jesus, or even that John is writing with double or triple meanings. Now, uh, what do I mean by double or triple meanings? Some people are, are say that basically these verses, they reference the death and resurrection, but also the second coming, raising of the saints, the rapture, all of the above all at once. Um, however, many of these arguments are with the benefit of hindsight that we have. As modern-day Christians, we have the entire Bible uh, to draw from, as well as the historical events that are referenced. In the context of this discourse, in the context of this conversation, it is most likely that Jesus was only telling us what is going to happen to him. The going away for a little while is his death on the cross, and seeing him again in a little while are his appearances to the disciples prior to his ascension to be with the Father in heaven. A little further along in the discourse, and I believe Alden will be speaking about this next week, in verse 29, the disciples actually say, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. So in this passage, Jesus is telling us plainly, he's going to die, he's going to raise again, see them, and then he's going to ascend to be with the Father in heaven. Jesus continues uh, in verse 20, where he states that this is not going to be a pleasant time for his followers, or at least not right away. Uh, we see this in verse 20, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will, rejo will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Again, Jesus is talking in plain terms about the great sadness his followers are going to experience at his death. Again, in context, they do not know that Jesus is going to die and then rise again. They think, in fact, he's going to bring about an earthly kingdom of heaven here on earth. Or said even more plainly, they believe that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be an earthly ruler, similar to a king or a president. In that context, Jesus' death is even more devastating. The one they believe is the Savior will be put to death, and again in context, they do not know he will be coming back. Not only that, but the world will be rejoicing at his death. Thinking that they have won, which is what Mike was talking about in his sermon from a couple of weeks ago regarding how the world hates Jesus. This, however, is not the end of the story. Jesus says that their sorrow will turn into joy. This joy is a reference to the joy that can be found through Jesus in the knowledge that your sins have been forgiven and you can experience eternal life with the God of the universe. For us today, this joy can be experienced in that same saving work of Jesus. This world is dark and there is suffering everywhere we look. We have all sinned, each of us here in this room, and we all need a savior. And that savior is Jesus. On the cross, he took our place so that we can have eternal life to spend with him. And what, Mercy House, what amazing, truly joyful, gracious experience that is. The God of the universe did not spare his own son, but put him on the cross in our place. What ultimate grace and what ultimate joy. To explain this joy, Jesus uses the analogy of a woman in labor. Uh, he says, starting in verse 21, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born to the world. 
So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. At first glance, this seems like a rather strange analogy. Jesus is spending time with his disciples, who are all men, and the analogy he uses for the anguish they're going to be going through is that of a woman in labor. And so to be honest, the first few times I read this, my initial, my initial reaction was kind of like, okay, that's the analogy. And then, you know, third, fourth time I'm reading it, I'm like, this is, this is an odd analogy for a group of guys having a conversation around the dinner table. However, in digging deeper into this, doing my research, uh, I discovered that this analogy is a common one in the Old Testament. So it would have actually been something that the disciples would have been familiar with. Uh, in particular, uh, we can see a reference to this in Isaiah chapter 26, verses 16 through 21, uh, which states, O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth. So were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. All right, I want to first acknowledge we could easily have an entire sermon on this passage, if not a sermon series on it. But, very briefly, here again we see the theme of a woman giving birth to a child and how there is great anguish involved. However, in this Isaiah passage, the anguish is compounded by the fact that there is no living child after the anguish and the pain and the suffering. And this is referenced in the giving birth to the wind. However, despite this tragedy, Isaiah also references resurrection, where he states, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, and the hope slash joy that that resurrection brings. These themes of anguish and joy are echoed by our scripture today. However, in our passage, the woman is able to experience the joy that comes from successfully delivering her child. Now, though I have not personally experienced this pain, I was in the room when all three of my children were born. And with our middle child, our son, Levi, Michelle wanted to experience an unmedicated birth. And to make a long story brief, she did it. But it was incredibly painful. Michelle labored like a champ all night long, like 12 out, like starting at 7 p.m. at night, all the way through till approximately 7.21 in the morning, at which point this handsome, frankly gigantic, eight pound, 11 ounce baby boy was born. And after the pain of labor, it was time for mother and son to bond. And Levi was healthy, Michelle was healthy, and what joy there was when mother and child got to experience that first skin-to-skin -skin contact. So despite that pain and anguish, there was tremendous joy. And now, as you heard in my introduction, we have a third child, Isla. Which is not to say that Michelle's third pregnancy was easy, nor without its trials, but that the birth and joy of our children made the suffering worthwhile. Similarly, 
the Bible tells us there are going to be trials and tribulations in each of our lives. Again, to reference Mike's sermon uh, from two weeks ago, uh, the world is going to hate us. Verse 20 from our passage today talks about how the world is going to be rejoicing at the death of Jesus. We are going to experience difficulties in this life, each of us. But it is going to be okay. Jesus has provided an escape for us and a refuge. We can spend eternity in his presence thanks to his saving work on the cross. As we read in verse 22 today, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one, no one will take your joy from you. Jesus will see us again, and on that day, no one will take your joy from you. For the Christian, no matter what happens in this life, it is going to be okay, because we get to see Jesus again. And when that happens, no one can take the joy we are going to experience from us. We will be in the presence of the Most High God, surrounded by his presence, his protection. He's going to be our portion, and we'll be praising him for eternity. And in that moment, no one will be able to take your joy from you. Now, this is the big picture gospel. But what it means is that we can have hope in the fact that whatever we're suffering through right now, whatever is causing us sorrow, whatever is driving us to tears, whatever is filling our hearts with sadness, it will not last forever. Our hearts, no matter how sad or hurt or weak, they will rejoice again. When? When we see Jesus. This is the promise in this passage. No matter how much we are weeping, no matter how much we are lamenting, suffering, no matter what those circumstances are, for the Christian, we will rejoice again, and all of our sadness will turn to joy. This brings us to the final verses of our passage today, verses 23 and 24, which state, In that day you will ask nothing of me, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I've already spoken to this, about this briefly with our children, but to summarize some additional points here. Uh, when Jesus talks about asking nothing of him, he's referencing that he will be with the Father in heaven. Uh, the Greek words for ask in these verses are erotau and aitio, uh, which per my commentaries, because I do not speak Greek, are essentially the same verb. So these verbs are saying that instead of asking Jesus for things because he's physically present here on earth, we should ask God the Father for things in Jesus' name. Uh, this would be kind of similar language to if, you know, Tommy, for instance, came up to me today and asked to borrow something I had, asked me in person here at church, and I gave it to him, uh, versus if someone, Tommy again, say, came by my house uh, tomorrow and asked Michelle to borrow something, but referencing my name, referencing I said it was fine. Hey, uh, I came by to borrow the lawnmower. Garrett said it's fine, so I'm going to grab it. This is also part of the scriptural backing 
for why we end our prayers in Jesus' name. In addition to Jesus telling us to pray uh, in his name in verse 23, Jesus is also our high priest who represents us on behalf of God. Now he himself is God, but he intercedes on our behalf. Uh, It would be like if you're trying to get a reservation at a busy restaurant, they're all booked up and you show up there, they tell you they're booked, but then you mention that you're you know, related to the owner. You're the owner's son or daughter, in fact. And the, the receptionist is, oh, oh, yes, we have a table for you right over here, in fact. It's kind of similar in that way. This is also a reference to the Trinity. The Trinity gets referenced in this entire discourse, this entire conversation. Uh, in this verse, Jesus is saying that he and the Father are one. And so instead of asking Jesus because he's physically present, we can pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Uh, In previous sermons this summer, going through this discourse, uh, we have heard how after Jesus ascends to be with the Father, uh, he's going to send the Holy Spirit as a helper. Uh, So this is a very quick summary of the Trinity and some scriptural backing for the Trinity. As Christians, we believe in a triune God, which means one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, For further reading, you can see Matthew 3, 16 and 17, or Matthew 28, 19. Another point on prayer, again, we believe in a triune God, we believe in one God, so it's entirely appropriate to address prayers to God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or simply to God. Now, uh, as referenced with our children, do these verses mean that we're going to get everything we pray for by adding in Jesus' name to the end? I mean, the short answer to that is no. Uh, When we pray, and this is personally very applicable, we should think about the heart motivations for the prayer. Is this prayer something that is going to bring me, Garrett, comfort and joy? Or is it something that would make Jesus happy and further his mission? Now that's not to say there is not room for overlap in these items. However, we should not expect God to simply grant us all of our wishes. In fact, sometimes the answer to a prayer is no. And sometimes God tells us no to something we really, really want. Excuse me. Which is not to say we should not make bold requests of God or cast all our cares on him. We certainly ought to do that, but I think it is a healthy exercise for all of us, myself certainly included, to examine the heart motivations behind the prayers and to really consider what Jesus would think of our requests. <clears throat> Now, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he blessed it, when he broke it, he gave thanks, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We celebrate communion every week at Mercy House to remember Jesus' sacrifice for each of us. The night he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, while sweating and crying blood, Jesus prayed. And when he prayed, he prayed to the Father. And as Matthew twenty-six thirty-nine states, and I quote, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, 
My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was casting his cares onto the Father, but he ended it with not my will, but yours be done. He does this because he too is putting his hope on the joy that is set before him on the other side of the cross. That hope enabled him to endure the pain and suffering of the cross. Jesus models for us how we ought to take heart and how any pain and suffering is temporary because now his heart rejoices as he invites us into eternity with him. At this time during communion, I would encourage you to spend some time talking to your heavenly father. I would encourage you to cast your cares upon him because he cares so much for each of you that he sent his only son, his son Jesus, to die for you in your place. I would also encourage you to just spend some time thinking on this passage, on the words of Jesus, and just to listen for the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, I would ask that you think about your heart and consider if it is aligned with how Jesus would like you to be living your life. Uh, Now the way we do communion here is we form two lines in the center aisles, and then once you've received the elements, you exit around the sides and return to your seats. Uh, This is a uniquely Christian thing, so if you are not a believer, we invite you to remain seated at this time and to think about what you have heard and to pray. Uh, I'll be in the back uh, with some others if you would like someone to pray pray with you. Uh, So before we take communion now, uh, let us bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much that you did not spare your own son. Thank you that one day we are going to see you. I would ask that you would be active amongst us now, Father, stirring us to live as you would want us to. God, I would pray that you would do great things with this congregation and this church, not just in Amherst, but around the world. Help us to have hearts that are on fire for you. We love you, Lord, and in the name of your son, Jesus, Amen.